Mighty God. Why don't you just right where you are this morning, just begin to lift up your own hallelujah to God. Just begin to lift your own prayer to Him. You're sitting as a family. You can take turns of praying, but God can listen to everything all at the same time. And God, we just want to thank you this morning that you are good, that you are mighty, Lord, that the battle belongs to the Lord. Father, we pray for every battle that we face at this time, in this moment. Lord, we pray for those who are battling sickness in their bodies and we proclaim healing to them. Father, we pray for the battle of the minds, that we would have peace that surpasses understanding, that we would know that you have given your peace, that you have left us with everything we need. And Father, we pray for the battle of the Spirit, the battle that does not stop just because we cannot meet in person. But Lord, we pray that our spirits this morning would be strengthened, that they would be encouraged, that they would be uh, yeah, lifted as we lift our praise to you. Mighty God. Lord, we raise our hallelujah to you this morning. Jesus, we declare that it is all about you and you alone. And unless you build the house, then the laborers work in vain. And so, God, we pray this morning, what only you can do, what only you can do. And, uh, yeah, God, we just, um, we, again, we remind ourselves that even to be able to gather online this morning is a privilege that's, that many people around the world don't have. Lord, many people are forced into their homes. Many people are forced out of the church uh, through persecution uh, and cannot gather freely and cannot broadcast freely. And so, God, again, we pray that we would not see this as a, as a backup, but Lord, we would use it to the fullness of everything you have given us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Just going to ditch this, guys. I have no idea what that sounds like on camera, so you'll have to give me some feedback on, on, on that. Um, I hope you'll sing along. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah, right, we can use Spotify. But how, yeah, true. True that. Cool. I'm glad. If you feel connected, I feel connected. Uh, and that's what it's all about. 47 different devices tuning in this morning. So that's awesome. Um, I know some of those will be families as well. So great to have uh, you all here this morning. Those of you that are a regular part of Blenheim Baptist Church, welcome. Those of you who are not a regular part at Blenheim Baptist Community Church, a special welcome to you. Uh, I know we've got people tuning in from other churches. I know we've got people tuning in from uh, other, <laughs> yeah, other cities. And um, so, yeah, that, um, thank you guys for tuning in this morning. It's, it's humbling to know that in a, in a world where online we have access to anything we want, you know, all the preachers of the world that you would want to sit here and listen to me this morning. And um, so, you know, I take that, I take that seriously. Uh, and I want to, um, yeah, I, I, I want to um, share something with you that's worth your time. This morning, and I believe I've got something for you on that regard. So um, yeah, let's let's do that. And um, happy birthday, Sam! I saw that pop up somewhere too. Eighteen years old. Uh, you you're having a big party? Lots of people coming around. Pro probably not. Uh, and if you are, don't. So I want to share a thought with you this morning. I got a couple of different scriptures that I want to go to. Uh, in fact, before I do, I'm just going to turn that heat pump off because. As you know, my body temperature goes up when I sing. Um, so, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about worship. This this last week has been um, it's been full, man. It's um, who would have thought that for all the sitting at home, uh, not necessarily been a lot of rest going on. I'm hoping some of you are getting a chance to rest. I really want to encourage you if you have the ability to to rest. Uh, if you're if you're not an essential worker who's required to go out. Don't, don't feel bad for taking a couple of days to just chill. You know, this sort of stuff takes a toll on the body, on the mind, and on the spirit. And uh, I'm looking forward to taking tomorrow, uh, taking this afternoon, to just sort of step away uh, from, from my computer. Happy birthday, Ann Stevenson as well. So good. Um, and, and, you know, actually just take a space, have a breathe, because it's very quickly to just, it's, it's, it's amazing how quickly we fill up our time, even when we're at home. I saw a great meme on Facebook this week that said, after weeks of not cleaning the house because I didn't have time, this week I discovered that's not the reason. 
so, you know, and, and actually that's a beautiful segue into what I want to talk about this morning, which is your, your worship journey with God uh, and your personal connection with God. Um, we, we are in a time at the moment where a lot of our spiritual discipline requires itself to be um, our, our own work, right? Our, our, our own spiritual discipline. And because you know, normally we can gather on Sunday and someone creates the atmosphere, someone creates the space, someone uh, prepares the song, someone does all of those sorts of things. Um, but, but the moment we, we become isolated in our homes, a lot of that work uh, gets, gets put to the side. And so we can do the things that we're doing here, um, but there is also a, a discipline that sits on every single one of us to connect with God. And within that, I think that we have to be mindful of the fact that um, it's very easy to, to, to not. Uh, it's very easy to put it on hold, to become stressed. And actually, in the same way, I speak to lots of people all the time who um, what they would say to me is, you know, Ah, oh, I wish I had more time for God, but actually it's just, man, life's busy. And actually maybe for you this week, you've realized that's not the reason, um, you know, because we've had a lot more time and maybe you've gone, actually, I still haven't connected with God in the way that I felt like I, I would want to connect. And so what I want to do this morning, I don't want to condemn you for that. Um, but I, I actually want to give you tools and actually start to look at the reasons why don't we connect with God, uh, perhaps the way that we would like to. Um, you know, have you ever been in a, a service have you, or a situation where you've talked to someone and they're, uh, you know, you know you, you're listening to someone share about their connection with God or their moment with God, their quiet time with God, uh, and you go, oh, man, I wish I had that. I wish I... Um, could connect with God on that level. I wish I, or, or even more so, I wish that when I went and made the time, that was what happened for me. And so maybe you've heard these stories, you've heard people, you know, you've heard Mike talk about his quiet time, or you've heard me talk about my prayer time at Highland Park, or you've heard someone else. Um, and you've tried to develop these disciplines. Um, but time and time again, you've worked out that it's never worked for you. You've never experienced that personal connection with Jesus. You know, one of the things that we believe as a church, it's in our vision statement, is Blenheim Baptist Community Church is a church that believes God can be experienced and known. We don't believe in a God that is just an idea, um, just a concept, just a metaphor for something. We believe in a God who is a person uh, and that that person can be communicated with, that he can be um, yeah, experienced and known. Uh, but at the same time, I'm, I'm very aware that for many people, uh, their story doesn't always reflect that. Their story sometimes goes, actually, you know what? I, I don't feel like I'm connected with that God. And some of you, the closest you get to that connection with God is on a Sunday morning. Um, and you've just had that very thing taken away from you. And, and so now you go, well, Sunday was my place where I felt connected with God. What do I do now? And that's what I want to speak into this morning. That's what I want to hopefully give you some tools for. I want to show you some scriptures uh, and I want us to go on a journey. I, I'm really starting a conversation this morning. Um, uh, yeah, starting a conversation that I intend to continue this week. I continue, uh, I plan to you know, do a few other things. Next Sunday, uh, we are hoping to have Kingsley Morris with us. Um, he was supposed to be preaching at church. Obviously, we can't do that, but we're looking at ways to um, get him. So Kingsley and Marie and their family were mission, missionaries. He used to be the pastor of Picton Baptist. Uh, they've been in Malawi. They're back in, in New Zealand at the moment. And he's just accepted a call, actually, to Westgate Baptist Church in Auckland. Uh, but they're going to be sharing with us next Sunday. But anyway, I digress. I want to share this morning uh, about your private worship disciplines. We believe as a church that there are five things that every Christian needs to grow to maturity. Practical teaching, private disciplines, personal ministry, providential relationships, and pivotal circumstances. And right now, we are in a pivotal circumstance as the church. Uh, you know, this will either take us closer to God or further away from God, depending on how we deal with it. And the big thing that is going to make the difference in how we deal with it is whether or not we develop private disciplines. One of the big things that the, that the Bible talks about is learning to feed ourselves spiritually. Uh, I want to I read a couple of scriptures to you, uh, a couple of stories that, that relate to show that actually we're not 
uh, on our own. And this is and, and this this is not a unique context for us to to wonder about where our place of worship is or or, or what. And then I want to look at how the Bible responds to that. So the first one that I want to go to is in the book of John, chapter four. <clears throat> And it's this. I want to read from. Where do I want to read from? I've got several screens open at the same time. I want to read from verse 5. John chapter 4, verse 5. All right, here we go. It says, Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar. Sychar? Yeah, good. Near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph long ago. <clears throat> Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well. He sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink of water. Surprised, she said, Why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? Jesus replied, If you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. The woman replied, but sir, you don't have a bucket, and this well is very deep. So where do you find this living water? Do you really think that you are greater than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it himself, along with his children and his livestock? And Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, you will be thirsty again and again. But if anyone drinks the living water that I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, springing up and flooding you with endless life. The woman replied, let me drink this water so I will never be thirsty again and won't have to come back here to draw water. Jesus said, go and get your husband and bring him back here. But I'm not married, the woman answered. That's true, Jesus said, for you have been married five times, and now you are living with a man who is not your husband. You have spoken the truth. And the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me this, why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain, but your people teach that Jerusalem is the place where we must worship? Which is right. And I want you to hear this next part. Jesus responded, believe me, dear woman, the time has come where you will not worship the Father on a mountain, nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. You people don't really know the one they worship. We Jews worship out of our experience, for it is the Jews <clears throat> from the Jews that salvation has been made available. From here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in spirit and in truth. I'm going to stop there. I love the scripture because here's a woman saying, where is the place that I'm supposed to worship God? Where is the place that I'm supposed to worship God? And, and you know, we can get real caught up in, um, in, in all of that and, and, and go, what, you know, am I supposed to be at this church or that church? And what happens when I can't go to church? And Jesus makes the statement. He says, the time is coming where it will not be about worship in the right place, but with the right heart. And I believe one of the things that we are seeing and one of the opportunities that we have right now is there are lots of people who we put our connection in God with being in a place, being in a building, being part of a particular community. And actually what's happening now is we are being forced, uh, forced is a bad word. Uh, we are being, um, we're being given an opportunity to enter in to a relationship with God that is not about the place, but about the position of our hearts. I want to show, show you another one in scripture. Uh, and this is just one verse, which then I want to expound a little bit. This is Ezekiel chapter one and verse one. And it says, on July 31st of my 30th year, while I was in the Judean exiles beside the Kabar River in Babylon, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And, and so that's the only verse I want to read, but I want to give you some backstory about why that verse is so powerful. Uh, so <clears throat> Ezekiel was a, was a priest, part of the Jewish community. Um, and, and the way that the, the, the church was structured at that time, wasn't called the church, obviously, but there was a, there was a temple that belonged uh, to the Jewish people, and that was the home of God. And there was the outer court, the inner court, and then you had the, the you know, but the big one was the Holy of Holies. 
And this was where the presence of God supposedly lived in this one small room. And, and it was the only place you could go to hear from God. And the only person that was allowed in there was the priest and only at certain times of the year. And so if you went in there at any other given time, uh, you, you know, I mean, even that, you know, they'd have a rope around the priest's legs so that if he was in there in an unworthy manner and died, they could pull him out because you weren't allowed to go in to get him. And, and so, you know, this was the one place, the only place that you could go to get a word from God, to hear from God through his, through his people. And so this was the word that Ezekiel had been brought up in. And, and so what ends up happening is, is Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they come in one day and, and they, they destroy the town. They destroy the temple. You know, the Bible said that um, if you entered the temple in an unworthy manner, you would be struck dead. And so Nebuchadnezzar and his men go to go into the temple. And it says they go in and it says they stole the treasures out of the temple and, and nothing happened to them. And so here's Ezekiel, who, who as a priest has for all these years believed, you go in there and you know, God will take care of them. And now their treasure's gone, their place of worship is gone, uh, and, and the place where they go to get a word from God is gone. And sound, now ours hasn't been destroyed, but for many of us, we might be in a place right now where the place I go to get fed, the place I go to get my word, the place I go to connect with God is, is effectively gone for the next however long. Um, and, and what do I do with that? And this is what I love. This is why verse one is such a powerful verse, because it says on July the 31st of my 30th year, while I was with the Judean exiles, while I was exiled, because they took these people as prisoners. Well, I was with the exile. Well, I was with the exiles beside the Kabar River in Babylon. Babylon was the, were the people who had just invaded them, just taken them. So, while I was in the place of captivity, while I was in the place of isolation, while I was in the place of uncertainty, while I was in unfamiliar territory, away from my place of worship. The heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. I want to encourage you this morning. I believe that what God is wanting to do with his people in this time. Now, I don't believe God sent the virus, but I believe God will use everything. And I believe that what God is doing in this time while we are in our homes is revealing to us that he is able to meet us in isolation. He is able to meet us without a pastor. He is able to meet us without a congregation. He is able to meet us without a candle, without a, uh, you know, without a, um, you know, lighting rig, without the right songs, without all these sorts of different things. Um, and, and so to come back to that place of going, God can and wants to meet with you in your home now. And what does that look like? And so, I, you know, all I want to do is start to expand a little bit of that because I think so far I haven't said anything that you wouldn't disagree with. What we might struggle with is the how. Okay, Shannon, yep, that's what I want. How do I get that? How do I do that? And, and so I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, as I go, I also want to, you know, um, we've looked at several, so we've looked at Ezekiel who lost their temple. Um, they lost their place of worship. The Samaritan woman, who they had a place of worship, but they were being told it was the wrong place of worship. And in both of those situations, Jesus, uh, or God, responded to Ezekiel in the place he was at. Jesus said, it's not about where you are, but about the position of your heart, wherever you are. And then, you know, today we look at environments, you know, um, 70 AD, the destruction of the temple. To this day, the Jewish people stand at the Wailing Wall because they have no place uh, to give that worship. They have no place to get their word. Their place has gone. But Jesus even addressed this um, when he talked about it. Jesus said that the um, people will look to the left and the right, but the kingdom of God will not be found. Why? Because the kingdom of God is within you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, uh, uh, the Bible says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so when Jesus is talking to this woman at the well, and he says, my well, you know, because she's, she's got a well, you know, the whole community has a place. You want water, you all have to go to that place. And what Jesus is doing is he's using the analogy to go, 
often what we do in our worship is we have a place that we have to go. We have a, and, and, and I'm, I'm actually going to talk about that. I'm not opposed to having a place. I believe church is a good thing. I believe that the Bible says we should not forsake meeting together when we're able to. But the point is, if that's the only place we can get fed, uh, then we have an opportunity to grow as Christians. And, and so within that, as we start to look, at the, um, you know, Jesus uses this picture of a well and says, if you drink the water I have, it will become a spring within you. In other words, you won't just have, you will become the source. You will become a well. You will become a drawing place for others who have not yet learned to feed themselves. And so again, I believe another thing that God is doing in this time is actually making, uh, giving us an opportunity to become, to, to tap into his source, into his stream rather than just live stream, <laughs> uh, and to uh, to become a source of that, you know, and, and for our families, for our homes, um, and to experience what it means that we can actually have access to God all the time, instead of just Sunday to Sunday. Um, so, I want to talk a little bit about that, because um, the big thing that comes down to it is going, how do we do that? What does that look like? And I said last week, I think I mentioned, um, one of the things that I want to take us on a little bit of a journey on uh, is looking at this book, uh, Sacred Pathways um, by Gary Thomas. And, and so um, it's a book I've been reading it this week. I encourage you, if you have a Kindle or anything like that, it's $9.99 on Kindle right now. It is a great book. Um, and basically what it does is it starts to unpack our worship journey with God. Uh, and you might be sitting there this morning and going, what is worship? We've heard the word worship a lot. We throw the word worship around a lot. Um, oftentimes we talk about worship, you know, we go, we're going to have the worship time and that's the music time. But worship is not limited to music. And that's what I want to um, sort of break us out of this morning. Essentially, worship is just connection with God. Worship is when we give to God, when we experience relationship with God. Um, and again, because it's connection, one of the things that I'm a big believer in is that connection is a two-way thing. When we give to God, I don't know if you've ever found this, but usually we receive far more from God than we give to God in those moments. But worship is simply connection with God and connection is two ways. And so, um, but the important thing I think to realize is that God has wired each of us differently and we connect with God in different ways. Uh, and it's about learning how we do that. Uh, it's about discovering what we do. I want to tell you a story. Um, when I, I don't say we, when, when, when we, uh, had our first child and Emma did most of the work on that, um, Many of you will know that there were um, some complications around that process. Um, Taya was born five weeks premature and hadn't grown for, for about a month before that prior either. Um, and so we had the, the, the uncertainty of the child arriving premature and, and under, you know, was supposed to be underdeveloped. She wasn't, but that's a story for another day. Um, and during that process, um, because of complications with the, the spinal block, Emma lost the use of her legs for, for some time. Uh, and the point is that, you know, in, in all of this, our entire routine was thrown in the air. Um, many of you will be feeling right now, your entire routine has been thrown in the air. Uh, but the thing that I remember looking back on that moment is how close um, we became in that moment. You know, we, we had an opportunity to grow closer. Um, Emma needed my constant support, and so I learned to be a more supportive husband. I learned how to be a father. I learned how to be, a, um, you know, I learned how to rely on God. And so the observation that I want to make this morning is this: breaking routine creates opportunity for greater intimacy. Sometimes it's the breaking in our routine. Now, all of our routines are pretty broken at the moment, uh, and that can either break us or it can lead us into deeper opportunities of intimacy. Um, there's a joke I can make there. I'm not going to make it. Um, but, you know, we've been using this time as a family to bond as a family. We're going for walks together as a family in the evening because we all need to get out of the house. And actually, that's not something that we've done super regularly. But it's building our connection. We're, we're spending more time in each other's zone. Duh. And so, again, 
this broken routine presents an opportunity for greater intimacy. And so the broken routine that we have right now is an opportunity for greater intimacy with God. But actually, not only that, I want to challenge you to go one step further and to break your routine a little further. Uh, and I want to look at the, this book, Sacred Pathways. Excuse me. <clears throat> this book, Sacred Pathways, is all about the different ways that we connect with God. Uh, and, and it talks about how each of us are wired differently to connect with God in different ways. We connect with other people different ways. One of the things that I find fascinating um, is that how even within you might you and I might have a mutual friend, the way we connect with that friend can be incredibly different. And, and so I believe it's the same with God. And so what we find ourselves doing is actually learning how to connect with God the way he has wired us to connect. And one of the things that we often do is we create a formula to worship God. And so over the last however many years, the formula to worship God has been to sing two fast songs and two slow songs. Uh, and then to have a sermon on a Sunday morning, you have a handshake in the middle, you have tea and coffee afterwards, and that's how you connect with God. The problem is, what if it's not? What if it's not the way you connect with God? What if you sit in that space every morning and you look around and you see all these other people who are just really into the music and, and you're, you're trying your hardest, but you go, ah, I just, I'm just not there. I just, this just doesn't do it for me. I'm not a singer. I'm not big into dance or, 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 or whatever else. Does that mean that you can't connect with God? And unfortunately, I've heard it taught in, in, in churches unofficially. You know, no one means to say it, but it basically comes across going, if you can't engage in this way, then you don't engage with God. Uh, and actually, I want to I reject that this morning. I want to rebuke that. And for some of you, this is going to be an incredibly healing thing. For some of you, this isn't going to be new information, but it is still helpful information. Uh, you know, just because we know something to be true doesn't mean it's not worth going over again. How many times have you pushed on a door that says pull, despite the fact that you've been through it 10 times? Um, and so the first thing that I want to talk about this morning is I want to show you... Uh, in the book of Kings, we're not going to go there for the sake of time. Uh, but in the book of Kings, there's a story in First Kings chapter 18. You can go there in your own time if you want to. And it's Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And it's this whole thing about this, the showdown about whose God is real. Is it, is it the God of the Israelites or is it the, the God, is it Baal? And so they have this whole kind of thing going on. And so they, they decide to build two altars and call on God. Whoever's God answers by fire, he's the real God. And it says in this moment that the prophets of Baal, in order to get their God's attention, it says that they spun in circles, they sang, they shouted, they, they yelled his name, uh, all of these different things. And uh, I, I'll never forget one of my favorite preachers drew a parallel to that. And went, that basically sounds like charismatic church worship. We shout his name, we sing really loud, we dance and spin in circles and we lift our hands. Yeah, okay, cool, good times. Not many spinning in circles. But the, the point is this. When we come to worship, worship isn't actually about method. It's about our motive. And so when we start to look at how we worship, why we worship, who we worship, these the, the more important questions are perhaps actually, actually why and who we worship. And then let the how come out of that. So often I think we try to... to dictate the how uh, before we've answered the who and the why. Um, because when we know who we wish, i got nothing against singing and shouting loud. I'm, I'm that person. Uh, but if we're just doing it, you know, the Bible says that if, 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 I, um, if I have all of these things but I do not have love, I'm just a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. Uh, and, and there are times where we can come together and we can sing and we can do all of those sorts of things and we can make lots of noise and have lots of life. But if it's not about the king if it's not about jesus then it's just a house party and so we have an opportunity to to make that different um and so what i want to look at the, this you know sacred pathways unpacks nine different worship styles which i just absolutely love and i want to unpack them a little bit with you i'm not going to have time to do them all this morning um my, my hope is from this morning i want to give you a couple of resources um and that actually maybe some of you will go and buy this book and look into it yourself 
Um, but it talks about nine different ways that people connect with God. Um, and I'm going to go through them in a moment. Um, but I also want to, to make a couple of observations as we go through them, uh, as we start to look at different worship examples and experiences. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. I'll say it again. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so, you know, what I love about this is that, I mean, number one, I just learned that I can eat or drink as an act of worship to God. Um, now, I'm doing a lot of eating at the moment because there's not a lot else to do. Um, I confess, probably not as an act of worship to God. But this gives me an opportunity to look and a challenge to go, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So again, worship is not about what we do, but why we do it and who we do it for. Rodney Parks, um, who's one of our elders, who many of you will know, tells a great story of um, when he first went to um, harvest camp, uh, summer harvest, whatever they called those. I'm too young. Um, and, and what he used to do was he used to take his boat down and he used to teach kids to wakeboard, much like he did on our family camp. Um, and, you know, you had people who would go down, you had people who would do the cooking, you had people who would do the cleaning, you had people who would do the, the you know, yeah, he was teaching people to wakeboard, riding his boat. You'd have someone who would do the message and all those sorts of things. And actually what he realized at the end of this as he was getting home one day uh, at the end of one of these camps was that actually this was the body of Christ coming together. This was worship in its truest form. And he realized that actually his boat and his hobby and his interest and his passion for young people, he could put all four of those things together and it could become worship to God. Now, the sad thing is, it would be very easy for someone like me to say, no, 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 if you're not in church, then you're not worshiping God. But actually, on that moment, that's the moment where he's out there giving everything he has. You know, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Uh, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And I just think that that is absolutely, uh, it's got to be a free thing for some of us. You know, if you have a gift of hospitality, uh, there is a way that you can offer it as worship to God. If you have, um, you know, if, if you're athletically gifted, not me, but, you know, there's a way that you can use it in worship to God. There's a way that you can take the gift that God has given. There's a way that you can take the thing that you love and give it in worship to God. And if you don't like music, that's okay. If you don't like uh, you know, whatever the particular expression is, um, you know, mass gathering of church, that's not your, your, your main pathway for connecting with God, that's okay. But one of the things that I think it's important to note is this, just because it's not worship for you doesn't mean it's not worship for someone else. And so when we're talking about our worship to God, when we're, as we go on this journey, one of the worst things that we can do is put blanket statements and we can say to someone, that's not worship. Actually, if worship isn't about the place or the action, but about the position of the heart, whatever that person's position of their heart is determines whether it's worship or not. Uh, so if you don't like the music, or you, you know, then, but you don't get to say it's not worship. And in fact, if you do like the music, if that's your way of connecting with God, you don't get to say to everybody who doesn't, well, then you don't worship God. Um, however, what I would also follow on with this is this. Mature Christians learn to worship in all spiritual temperaments. You know, one of the things that I think is important as we learn to connect with God more. So often we can be selfish in our worship connection. And if we're selfish in our worship connection, then I would submit that the position of the heart is not in the right place. And therefore, it's not the worship that Jesus was talking about in John chapter 4. You know, so often we can go, if they don't sing these songs, I'm not interested if they, you know, unless they sing the songs from my generation, and I don't care whether you're young or whether you're old or, you know, whatever you want to class yourself in there. If, if, if we can't learn, to, part of growing in Christian uh, faith is learning to worship in all spiritual temperaments. 
I need to be able to walk into the, the traditional, the hardcore traditional church that is not my preferred style of worship. And I need to be able to go in there and say, I see God here. And if I can't, I need to go, God, show me yourself here. It's a discipline. It takes time. It doesn't mean that we don't have a more natural pathway, but it's about acknowledging that worship isn't about us. It's about him. And actually, if I walk in and go, this is awful, the first thing I do is discredit God, who sits and looks at it and goes, this is awesome. I love this. I love it when my people come together. You know, God loves it when you worship him with whatever you do. God loves it when we come together and we sing and we spin in circles and we shout if we're doing it for him. God loves it when you go and teach a young person to wakeboard if you're doing it for him. God loves it when you make a meal for your family if you're doing it for him. God loves it if you, you know, um, so let's talk about that for a minute because I'm sorry, I'm not really following notes this morning. I'm more engaging in a conversation. Um, and so the, sorry, lost my train of thought, went back to the comments. Um, you know, when we start to look at, you know, one of the scriptures that's often pulled out around worship is this whole story about Mary and Martha. And Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and she, um, you know, she was a uh, contemplative. She loved to sit there. She loved to actually embrace um, and, and just go, I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. And some people are like that. I just want to be with Jesus. Um, and in that moment, you know, Martha was the person in the wrong because she was serving. She was trying to make sandwiches. She was trying to do all this. And we go, well, that, you know, that's not worship. Which then for the person who loves to be hospitable, the person who loves to, to serve others in that way, if we're not careful, we just discredit that whole worship journey. Because Jesus um, uh, was actually grateful to Peter's mother for the service that she offered to him and to them. And, and, and so one of the things, again, that the issue in that story of Mary Martha was not the fact that she was working. It was the motivation for working. It was, the, it was coming out of the wrong heart. So there is a way, again, that if you love to serve other people. I mean, you look at Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was the classic example of someone who served um, you know, other people as her way of loving God. And she did it till the day she died. And, 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 that, and to say to her, well, I'm sorry, but you were a Martha, not a Mary. I'd say, would you be prepared to have that conversation? I'm not prepared to have that conversation. And so, again, worship is about motive, not method. Uh, and as we also start to look, we have to understand that as mature Christians, we learn to worship in all spiritual temperaments. So what I want to do, I just want to quickly unpack the nine, our time is almost gone, but I want to unpack the nine pathways that are outlined in this book, Sacred Pathways. Um, as a way of talking a little bit about them so that you might go, I never thought that that, might, that could be my worship to God. Uh, and then I want to give you some homework. Aren't I good? Aren't I good? Uh, so first one is naturalists. Now, it says naturalists, not naturists or whichever. The, you know, keep your clothes on to love Jesus. <laughs> um, and this is all about loving God outdoors. Uh, and, and, you know, this is the thing that I just, you know, I had a, my principal at Bible college to him sitting in church on a Sunday. He, he did it. He used to come every week and he loved gathering with people and he loved worshiping God because God deserves our worship. But if you were to ask him, where did the moment come from that he felt closest to God? He would tell you that it's while he was out running, that it was while he was out. Uh, you know, he'd go up a hill and he'd be running along the hill and he'd be you know, exerting everything and he'd be looking out over his city. He had the city on one side and on the other side he had the horizon and he'd said, you'd be up there and you would just, he said, it was just like running with Jesus. Now, I can't think of anything worse. If, if you wanted me to feel further away from God, the, the, the easiest way to do that would be to take me for a run on the hills. <laughs> the last time I went for a run up the Winter Hills, I puked my guts out. And, and so I, that was a long time ago. And so some people, those are the places where they hear from God. These are the people who sit, you know, 
um, you start to look at examples throughout scripture. Um, you know, David was one of these people. David had this ability um, to, you know, you, you read what he wrote in the Psalms, and a lot of what he was talking about was, was God. Um, you know, the Bible says, let me find those verses for you. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, yeah, uh, this is a certain, this is a quote from, from this book, Sacred Pathless. The Bible is, it's like the Bible is meant to be read outdoors. Many of its illustrations and allusions are based on nature. And it is only in the context of nature that they begin to regain their meaning and force. The phase river of life seems quaint when the words are projected on a wall, but its power is nearly overwhelming when you're standing by a swiftly flowing river. Many of the Old Testament theophanies or appearances of God happened in the wilderness. God met Hagar in the desert, Abraham on a mountain, Jacob at a river crossing, Moses at a burning bush. It was far less common for God to visit someone in an urban center. And so maybe the most freeing thing for you this morning is to know, actually, I'm allowed to connect with God up the hill more than I connect with God in the church. Because the kingdom of God is within me. Uh... Yeah, worship has moved from Mount Sinai with all its sights, sounds, and smells to theater seating designed to protect us from outside distractions. I know that there are people in our, in our congregation who, who just really struggle with the fact that we have no windows. Um, but then I also know that there are others um, who, who would find an open window something to stare at and get distracted by. And so again, it's about acknowledging that all of these are worship. Some of them are more connecting points to others, but it doesn't mean we get to discredit the other persons. When God created paradise for the first man and woman, was it a resort house or a fancy motel or an elaborate palace? No, it was a garden. And so we get to connect with God. Uh, Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. Again, this was, this was David writing. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The Apostle Paul writes, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And, uh, you know, so again, one of the things that you've got an opportunity at the moment, we've all got a little bit of outdoor at the moment. We don't have a whole heap of outdoor, but we've got a little bit of outdoor. And so there might be a way for you to connect with God. Uh, let me go to the next one. Uh, number two is the sensates. These are people who love God with their senses. Now, this might be something that you've never thought of before. Um, but again, I, I want to unpack for it. Let's consider, for example, the experience recounted by Ezekiel. He feels a wind. He sees a flashing lightning surrounded by brilliant light, fantastic creatures, and a magnificent and stunning throne of sapphire. He hears the sound of wings like the, the roar of rushing waters and a loud rumbling. Ezekiel is then asked to eat a scroll that tastes sweet. And after it's all over, Ezekiel is so overwhelmed, perhaps the sensuous onslaught is so great, he sits down stunned for seven days. The idea, again, we believe that God can be experienced and known through our senses. Uh, here's, a, here's another story. I was glad to be sitting alone when I, this is from Gary Thomas in Sacred Pathways. I was glad to be sitting alone when I received communion at Regent College Chapel Service for the first time. Otherwise, I would surely have embarrassed myself. The bread was passed, a familiar experience, and next the cup came round. I opened my mouth and took a quick gulp, and for the first time in my life, I tasted red wine. This story happened for me. I was asked to lead communion at um, Matt and Erica Forlong's wedding. And as I did it, uh, I, did, I just it didn't even enter my head that uh, wine was um, was going to be in the cups. I'm a Baptist, and, and this guy continues with the same story. It hit me here. He says, I grew up Baptist, which meant we celebrated the Lord's Supper with grape juice or even Kool-Aid, depending on who drew communion that month. The wine caught me totally by surprise. I won't try to describe the look on my face, but I'm glad nobody saw it. As I left the chapel service, I noticed that the taste of wine was still with me. Its taste kept reminding me of the truth of communion for hours afterwards. That was perhaps one of the first experiences I had of the vivid sensory experience in worship. And so again, what would it look like to engage your senses in worship? Because we need to remember that God created our senses. One of the questions that I've written here is, what does church smell like? Now, <laughs> I won't go into too many details about that, but you know, 
we, we have certain things that we certain smells remind us of things. Certain smells draw our attention to things. And, and um, you know, have you ever walked into a place, into a, into a particular aisle of a supermarket or a particular aisle of a department store, and you've got a smell, and, and immediately it reminds you of a person because they their house smells like that or their home, uh, their, their, their perfume smells like that or something like that. Um, again, what would it look like? What does church smell like? There's certain things for me where I walk into an environment and this reminds me of something. What, what would it look like to engage God with our senses? Um, yeah, here's a, a couple of tips for you. Again, I'm not going to go into all of these because I haven't got time, but I just want to unpack some of the details, which again will hopefully inspire you to more. Uh, one Lent season, I carried a nail in my pocket, reminding me to pray prayers of intercession and repentance throughout Lent. The sharp edge reminded me of Jesus' sufferings every time I touched it or bent over and felt it pressing into my leg. Touch communicates, especially to the sensate Christian. Uh, another uh, piece of advice that I um, put here was taste can also be used in our prayers. Something sweet can remind us of God's goodness. Something bitter can keep us praying for a seemingly answered prayer. Or, uh, what, you know, what would it look like to take a bunch of different jelly beans and use them in your prayer time? Um, Bethel uses scents as part of their worship. They do. You know, in fact, in the old temples, they used to burn incense. Now, some people, if you walked into a church today and you smell incense, it would be an immediate, it would be like, oh, oh hang on a minute. But for others, that's actually a connection point of worship for them. Uh, so, yeah, Jesus calls it, and Jesus uses sense analogy the way through. He calls us the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It gives flavor. It adds taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, you know, I, have you ever sat down and ate a, eaten a really good steak and gone, Jesus, I love you? <laughs> you know, what does it look like to do that? Um, Jessica, chocolate. Yeah, you can use different chocolate for your worship. Uh, number three, traditionalists. This is about loving God through ritual and symbol. Um, part of our movement as a church, as a, of, of Baptists, we often come away from, um, uh, you know, part of how the church, the Baptist church has started was there was a whole lot of religion, you know, glorious cathedrals, big things being built. Uh, and, and when we engage with those, um, there's a beauty about them, but also it can start to become uh, religious. It can start to become about man. And so a lot of what Baptist uh, tradition was breaking away with was going, actually, God can be worshipped in a shack. And it's true, because why the kingdom of God is within us. God can be worshipped anywhere. But for some people, there is something about stepping into a majestic place created for God. Uh, tr traditionally, you know, every time I go to Nelson Cathedral, you know, you walk in there and it's mostly during the week, it's a tourist attraction, but you walk in there and there's something about the magnitude and the glory of God, the way that it makes you feel so small and makes God feel so big. And so traditionalists um, actually connect with people. They talk about three things. Uh, they talk about, where are they? Uh, here we go. Uh, here they are. Uh, symbols rituals and sacrifice and so you know you might find the old anglican liturgical prayer something really just moving this idea you know some people can't think of anything worse than praying a written prayer a structured prayer and yet for others it's the complete opposite i pray this prayer and instead i'm reminded that thousands of people over hundreds of years have been praying this prayer with me i'm joining a prayer that has been prayed since this day, this time. So, um, yeah, there's that as well. I'm going to keep going through because I'm really burning time here and I want to honour the fact that you've all got things to do today. Uh, number four, aesthetics, loving God in solitude and simplicity. Some people, the idea of worshipping God in a group is a really hard thing. The idea of trying to connect with God with other people, I, I can't do it. There's too much noise. There's too much crowd. Jesus would often retreat into the wilderness. Jesus would go to... Um, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane or, or uh, find a quiet place to pray. Some people love to find that place of solitude and simplicity. And again, the lights, the incense, the tradition, all these sorts of things, it's too much. It's too much. That doesn't mean we can't appreciate it, but it does mean it's not our main way of, 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 of getting uh, connecting with Jesus. Number five, activists, loving God through confrontation. Any activists out there this morning? These are our social justice warriors, and they are important people. Because these are actually the people who go, I love Jesus by doing his work. I worship Jesus by proclaiming good news.
to the to the poor and freedom to the captives. I I proclaim uh, I worship God by tackling the injustice of this world. I I worship God by giving uh, my time, my energy, and my passion to Him. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry if that's if that's you. I would love to spend more time, but I spent too much time on the earlier ones. Uh, number six, caregivers. Loving God by loving others. We've already talked about this a wee bit this morning. Mother Teresa was a classic one. But sometimes the way that, that people love God is by loving others. We've got some wonderful um, nurses in our church and, and, you know, absolutely loving, caring hearts. And, and when they come and they care for you, it's as if Jesus himself was present in that moment. Why? Because they're not just caring out of their skill. They're not just caring out of their trade. They're caring out of their love for Jesus. They're taking what they do and they're giving it as worship loving god by loving others you know jesus says this is one of the most pure forms of worship uh jesus says in, in jeremiah to know me they took care of the poor and the oppressed whatever you did for the least of these you did unto me um and so you know loving god by loving others is a massively uh timely massively important thing and what does it look like to do right now to be able to love others even if you can't physically contact them to be able to give them worship you might be one who's struggling particularly at the moment because your worship to God is often given to other people and you might be feeling isolated at the moment. But what opportunities can you find? Number seven, enthusiasts, loving God with mystery and celebration. This is perhaps one of the more well-known, uh, one of the ones that's been given center stage. These are the people who love to sing. They love to dance. They love to feel connected with God. You know, these are the ones who will come out of church on a Sunday and, and say, I felt God or I didn't feel God, you know. And it's not that God wasn't present in the service, but for them, there's, an, there's a mystery and celebration aspect to the connection with God. Um, and, and they're wonderful people. I'm probably one of these people. They're, but one of the things that they have to remember is that we are all connecting with God. We're all wonderful people. Um, and so finding ways to embrace that. What does it look like to love God with mystery and celebration in your home right now? Two more. Contemplative, loving God through adoration. These are the people who love, you know, we were always taught that contemplate means thinking about thinking. Have you ever met someone just so lost in thought? Uh, you know, they're just so, you know, again, probably Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, contemplating, you know, they, they get lost. Um, one of the favorite, um, one of my favorite pastimes to practice my contemplative worship uh, is the, the mercy prayer which is son of David, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's all it is. And you just go through it one, you go through it as a sentence, then you go through it one word at a time, and you just meditate on Jesus. Who is Jesus? Uh, son of David, what does that mean? Talking, you know, have mercy on me. You know, build that, a sinner. And, and this whole kind of thing, and contemplating just to sit and just to dwell um, how do you find time if you're a contemplative worshiper in the busyness of life? You know, you might be stuck in home right now with three kids, uh, a dog, a cat, a wife, a husband, you know, all the, and whoever else is in your household right now. How do you find that time for contemplative, uh, that contemplative space? And then number nine is intellectuals, loving God with the mind. These are the ones who could talk for hours about the reality of heaven. These are the people that could talk for hours about a scripture or about an idea. Um, we used to have nights like these, I guess, with our life group where we would just talk about one thing for hours and hours and hours and we would dissect it and we would talk about it and we would come out the end knowing absolutely nothing more than we walked in with, but feeling connected with God. Why? Because we'd engage God with our minds. Um, often we teach that worship is you, you, can't, you can't worship with your mind. We teach it as a spiritual discipline and your mind will never get there. But actually there is a place for those people who love to worship intellectually to connect with God. These are the people who love to study scripture. Uh, and so all these sorts of, um, all these different sort of things. They love to have discussion with people. They love to research. They, they'll, they'll, their idea of a good night is watching two hours of YouTube videos, six hours of YouTube videos on a topic that you care nothing about. Um, but to them, it's their worship pathway, and it's valid, and we have to make room for that. And so all of this to say, all of these different ways of connecting with God. And here's my question, and then I've got a challenge for you. Can you identify your 
worship pathway. Can you identify the times where you felt most connected with God or the times that you struggled to connect with God? Uh, can you look and see what examples are around you of, of that? Um, secondly, can you identify your weakness areas? So here's a couple for your homework this week. Identify your spiritual temperament. Which of those ones is your top? Maybe you've got a top one or two. Maybe you started with one, but you feel yourself moving into another one. Um, Bex uh, mentioned earlier on that music was not her her primary worship connection with God, but something that grew over time. Uh, maybe that's the same for you. Maybe you can identify steps on your journey. Secondly, what's identify your weak spiritual temperament. Is there anyone that you particularly struggle with? Remembering that part of growing to maturity as Christians is that we learn to worship in every single spiritual temperament. Uh, and so what I'm going to do, I want to give you two resources um, that uh, that I've been looking at this week. So the first one is a, it's, it's a study guide, a, a journal, a devotional um, written by Gary Thomas, the author of Sacred Pathways. And it goes through all of these nine things in more detail. It's got some examples, it's got some prompts, it's got some questions. Um, and so I'm going to put that up. I can't put it on the Facebook page, but I can put it on the Facebook group. And so I'm going to put it on the Facebook group for those of you that want it. If you um, want it and you're not on there, you can join the group or you can private message me and I can send it to you that way. Uh, and spend some time going through. And what I want to encourage you to do over the next couple of weeks, because spiritual disciplines are becoming a private thing for us, is to start making a worship plan. I want you to experiment with one or two of these different ones and go, what would it look like if our family got together this morning and worshipped? A different way. What would it look like if I went for a walk this morning and, and worshiped God a different way? And so I want you to experiment. I want you to work out, you know, talk amongst it in your families. Um, or even, you know, if you're online talking with people, you can do that. Which one works for you? Which one works for others? Which one doesn't work for you? Start to, start to not only understand your connection point with God, but someone else's connection point with God. And then I want you to start thinking about Actually, how could we incorporate your worship pathway into Sunday worship, uh, whether that be online here or when we're allowed to meet back in the building, whatever that looks like? How could we become more intentional um, of, of embracing each other's worship pathways? Uh, and what would that look like? So, yeah, and so that's the first resource. The second resource I want to give you for those of you that like quizzes uh, is an online quiz. It's just a link to another website that has this uh, sacred pathways test and you go through and you answer a bunch of questions. If you're really unsure, if you go, you know what, I just have no idea how I connect with God. The, um, this quiz will help you connect. It will help you work that out and help you get a, um, a bit of an idea, maybe give you a push in the right direction. I'm not a big fan of profiling that puts you in a box, you know, that goes, this is me. Um, so don't use it like that. Um, but use it as a prompt to go, hey, I think I might have identified a new way that I can connect with God this morning. Um, yeah, I, I had another scripture that I wanted to finish with. Let me see if I can find it. No, it's gone. Cool. All right, well, look, let me not take up any more of your time. I'd love to pray with you this morning. Um, I'd love to bless you to know that God has created you and wired you the way that he has for a reason. Uh, and he wants to connect with you the way that he created you to connect, not the way that the person next to you connects, not the way uh, that church has always connected. He wants to connect with you based on the gifts, the talents, and the desires that he has put in your heart. Uh, I want to bless you to know that just because your pathway is different does not mean you are not connected with God. Uh, I want to bless you to know this week that you can go and connect with God in the privacy of your own home and in your own life because God is not confined to a building. He is not confined to a place, but we have an opportunity to worship him in spirit and in truth. And I want to bless you to know that as you connect with God, this morning and in the weeks to come, you can and will become a source of living water for others in your family, others in your community, and others in your, in your circle at this stage. So I'd love to pray for you this morning.
God, I just want to thank you for the privilege of meeting. Lord, I want to thank you for the wonderfully complex way that you have made us. I want to thank you for um, yeah, everything that, that you do to connect with us. Lord, that you long to connect with us, whether it's through music, whether it's through creation, whether it's through our senses, whether it's through our minds, our solitude, our relationships, whatever it may be. And God, we just pray that at this time, uh, while we are separated from each other in person, Lord, that we might become more uh, connected with you in spirit. Lord, that we would know you in our homes, that we would know you uh, wherever we go. Lord, I pray in the same way as Ezekiel had that moment where God became real for him in his circumstance, in his exile, in his isolation. God, that you would become real for us in a new way in our exile, and our isolation, in our time of uncertainty. And God, I continue to pray for everyone who feels any kind of anxiety. Lord, anyone who feels any kind of um, uh, yeah, physical, mental, or spiritual uh, disease. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would command your angels concerning them so they would not strike their foot against the stone, and that you would uh, be glorified in everything we do when we eat, and when we drink, and when we sit down, when we, when we lounge around together in our living rooms, uh, all for your glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.